If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, if you will take it and open to the 35th chapter of the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 35. I know know, we don't go to Old Testament very often. Uh, Here in the 35th chapter of Jeremiah, we're going to read about God's prophet interacting with a small separatist clan of Israelites known as the Rechabites. Don't know if you've ever heard of the Rechabites. I hadn't. I'd read this passage many times and kind of skimmed over it. But about a year ago, God kind of laid it on my heart, and I just stopped and camped out in Jeremiah 35. Rechabites are an interesting people. We're going to look, look at them and Jeremiah's interaction with them this morning. But first, let me pray. Father, your word says, without faith, it is impossible to please you. And so we have come this morning in faith, expecting to hear uh, not some words from some pastor, but your word spoken to our heart for God's glory. Lord, take this conglomeration of thoughts, collection of passages, and use it to bring honor to your Son, Jesus. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you may know that the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was called by God at a, at a time of chaos and turmoil. Idolatry flourished throughout the kingdom of Judah, and surprisingly, infant sacrifices were common occurrences in the nation of Israel. Because Jeremiah was called to be a prophet during a time that God's people were running after other gods. And Jeremiah was called to warn God's people that because of their infidelity, they would suffer invasion and exile. Not a popular message. And consequently, Jeremiah was not well received. Persecuted. Thrown in prison. Ridiculed. And yet, this prophet spoke God's word no matter the consequences. (laughs) That's what a prophet is. 
someone who is faithful to God's word. In Jeremiah 35, we find the prophet Jeremiah residing in the city of Jerusalem. When some strange people show up in the streets of the city. They were known as Rechabites. We don't know much about them. Uh, they're not seen throughout the scriptures much. Well, those who have studied and followed the interconnected passages and all have come up with some ideas. They, they say that because the word, the Hebrew word rekab means chariot or horseman, many of the scholars believe that this small group of people was a guild of metal workers who led a nomadic life roaming the country, living in tents. If you had a wagon wheel that was broken, a sigh that needed sharpening, a plow head that had been bent, and then you set it aside and waited for the Rechabites to come to town because they were the ones who could sharpen that sigh, fix that plow. And this nomadic clan tended or traced their history back some 250 years to a man named Jonadad, excuse me. And they attributed their disciplined and distinct identity to the command of their ancestors. Oh, we read in Jeremiah chapter 35, starting at verse 8. The Rechabite said this, We have obeyed the voice of Jonadad, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he commanded us not to drink wine all of our days. We, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in. And we do not have vineyard or field or seed. We have only dwelt in tents and have obeyed and have done according to all that Jehonadad, our father, commanded us. In those days, metallurgists would have trade secrets that were tightly guarded. And so as a rule, these craftsmen formed proud families with long genealogies. Marriages were carefully arranged within the trade in order to prevent the entrance of outsiders because they might learn our secrets and tattle 
most likely the abstaining from alcohol came from some warning that is similar to ours, uh, you know, loose lips sink ships. And so the Rechabites didn't want someone, one of their clan, loosely sharing their secrets because their livelihood depended on their keeping that to themselves. We know that the Philistines were the workers of metal, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, hardly any of them knew the secrets, and so the Israelites would have to take their plows and their size to the Philistines to get sharpened. That's why Hebrew people didn't have swords, didn't have armor. That's why the Philistines seemed to have more power over them through the years. And so it's interesting that this one little clan of Israelites knew the secrets to working with metal. And they weren't going to divulge their livelihood. Uh, the point is that the, the smithy had to jealously guard technical trade secrets and skills that had been passed down from father to son, from father to son, from father to son for over 250 years. In addition, the nature of the Smithy's work prevented them from establishing permanent residence they remained in one locale long enough to fix what was broken, sharpen what was dulled. And then when their services were no longer needed, they picked up and moved to the next village or the next city. They were in one spot a couple of months, maybe a few months over a year, but no longer than that. But interestingly, now we read in verse 11, but it came about when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the land that we, Rechabites, said, come and let us go to Jerusalem before the army of the Chaldeans and before the army of the Assyrians so that we may dwell in a protected city. They lived in tents. They moved about frequently. This was not their normal manner of life. And no doubt they were an oddity in the city, conspicuous in their strangeness. And you can be sure that these unique nomads were noticed, commented on, 
and gawked at. And within two or three days, everybody in that large city either had seen or had heard about these strange people called Rechabites. And with that background, look at verse 1 of chapter 35 of the book of Jeremiah. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judea, saying, verse 2, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Did I read that right? The Rechabites don't drink wine. And yet God told Jeremiah, go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. That doesn't make sense. Now, I'm a prophet, that's why I say, excuse me, I'm not a prophet, that's why I say that. But I wonder if Jeremiah might have thought the same thing. Do what? Lord, you know they... That's, I would have said, that's stupid. Jeremiah knew God better. That's why Jeremiah was a prophet, and I'm not. Because Jeremiah, when God told him to do something, no matter how ridiculous, Jeremiah did it. Whether it made sense or not, when God spoke to Jeremiah, Jeremiah obeyed. Oh, it's an interesting book to read. Jeremiah was a colorful individual. You need to read it sometime. Spend some time. Here are these unique people who have obeyed the commands of their fathers for 250 years. And God tells his prophet, Go, gather them together, and offer them wine to drink. Lord, do you? I might have even said, I'm not going to do that. You're just going to make me look silly. Thankfully, I wasn't there. Jeremiah was. And so Jeremiah gathered up this entire household of the Rechabites. And we read in verse 4. And I brought them into the house of the Lord 
into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the sons of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, which was above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. In other words, into a room that everybody was able to see into. This was a public Verse 5, then I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink up. The question is, would they? Everybody in the temple was watching with curiosity, they knew these people and they knew Jeremiah. What was happening? This doesn't make sense. Would the Rechabites alter their rule in order not to offend God's prophet? I mean, he's a serious dude. Would they consider that they were living under wartime conditions and it was only courteous to abide by the customs of their protectors? You know, changing situations. I mean, changing the way we do things? Would the Rechabites take the practical, uh, realistic view of the situation and go ahead and share the cup of fellowship, the cup of friendship with this prophet? What would they do? Well, Jeremiah tells us what they did. Verse 6, But they said, We will not drink wine. Johanadad, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall not drink wine, you or your sons, forever. And you shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard or own one. But in tents you shall dwell all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. And we have obeyed the voice of Jehonadad, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he commanded us not to drink wine all our days. We, our wives, our sons, or our daughters. Now, you must understand that this is in no way intended to be a temptation to the Rechabites. God never tempts his people. This was done in order to give them an opportunity to refuse. Was it a testing? No, because God knew that they were not going to drink wine. So why this interchange here? 
the Rechabites were not going to drink wine because of that command from their fathers years and years ago had shaped and preserved their way of life as skilled craftsmen. And, and neither hospitality from a friendly host nor the customs of a sanctuary city could distract them from what was essential for their welfare. Maybe I need to stop there and ask the question, have you ever stopped and wondered what, or thought about what is essential for your welfare? Okay, not just physical, yeah, food and shelter, but how about essential for your spiritual welfare? Have you considered? Boil it down. What are the essentials for me to walk with God? Not just now but in the future. The Rechabites had done that, and so they said in verse 6, we will not drink wine, for Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall not drink wine, you or your sons, forever. These people were commanded and disciplined people, people who kept their promise, people of integrity. And what did God say about the Rechabites? Interestingly, look at verse 18. Jeremiah 35, verse 18. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jehonadad, your father, kept all of his commandments and done according to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jehonadad, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. I, I thought to myself the other day, that, that sounds like Psalm 23, 6. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sorry, I digress there. Got the picture? This small separatist band of Israelites sticking to the promises, holding to the promises they made to the commands of their fathers, fathers, fathers 250 years ago.
it's hard for me to make a commitment and keep it for a month. Six weeks without someone helping me, encouraging me, 250 years. Verse 12. Thus, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jeremiah, go and say to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to God's people, will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord. Verse 14, the words of Jehonadad, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed. And so they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I, but I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. The essence of Jeremiah's message here in chapter 35 to the people of Israel and essentially to you and I today is this. Do not just stare at the Rechabites. Don't just talk about the Rechabites. Pay attention to what makes them different. The Rechabites are not entertainment for you. They are an example of what God wants from you. And I believe Jeremiah looked at the people of Israel and said, your problem is not that you are incapable of living such a disciplined life, but you are lazy And you are presuming on God's long-suffering tolerance of the sin in your life. Am I? Oh, I, I know that wasn't quite right, but you know I live under grace. I, I know that hurt, but... God will forgive me. I, I know, I, but I just don't have the time. Brothers and sisters, the truth is that the moral level of our society is shameful. And the spiritual integrity of our culture is embarrassing. And that applies to some churches.
We have been called, yes, commanded, to live on a higher plane. To be people of integrity. If I make a promise, to keep a promise. Jesus Christ said, He who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And I will love him, and my, fa- and my Father will love him, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. You, you want to know God better? Keep his commands. I don't like that one. Oh, sorry. Didn't say pick his commands. Keep his commands. Not just say them, oh, I love you. No. Love you. I forget. Do it. serve one uh, no they it's time they serve it's what i say i believe what i live am i a man of integrity I'll be the first to tell you that I can't do that without God's help. And to be real honest with you, I don't like to forgive. I like to get even. It's a chore for me to forgive. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. Years ago, we had an infant in a high chair and getting things mixed up. I was working at the church. My wife called and asked how long I'd be. She wanted to fix dinner. I told her about 45 minutes, and an hour and a half later, she called and said, where are you? I said, well, I'm sorry. be another 30 minutes. So an hour and a half later, I got home. And there was a cold dinner on the table and a hot wife at the kitchen sink. And I didn't say anything. I went and ate and walked out. And God just said, go back and hug her and just say, I'm sorry, I love you. And so I did that. And I put my arms around her and said, sweetheart, I'm sorry, I love you. And I just, I bit my tongue and ran out of the room because I was going to say, but I was working. About five minutes later, she came in bedroom with tears in her eyes and she said that was the last thing I thought I'd ever hear from you I thought you were going to justify yourself 
we know what to do. It's right here. That doesn't mean it's easy. Can you imagine the Rechabites for 250 years being ridiculed, gawked at, laughed at, criticized, questioned? Why do you do that? Oh, that's just your father. God didn't tell you. That's just your father. But they were faithful. Men of integrity for years. And brothers and sisters, we live in days like they did. In days of turmoil. In days of war, in days of chaos, do we know the future? No. And it's easy to maybe alter, bend the rules a little bit in the circumstances that we're in. No. We need to Focus on what is essential, and the Rechabites knew what was essential, and they abided by that daily. Oswald Chambers puts it this way, you must brood on, ponder over the tragedy of Calvary and the meaning of redemption. If you want to live right, Consider why Jesus went to the cross. And what's it mean in your life? The Apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the Philippians. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is in God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. The Apostle Paul put it this way. In view of this, I also do my best always to maintain a blameless conscience, both before God and before man. Can you say that? Can you say that you have a blameless conscience both before God and before man? If not, you got some work to do. Because that's what God's Word calls us to do daily. I had read about the Rechabites over the years, but not until a number of months ago did I really stop and consider who they were. And brothers and sisters, I want to be a Rechabite.
one who is faithful in all he does. And as Jeremiah says, they shall not lack a man to stand before God always. That's my desire. I pray it is yours. Pray with me. Father, help us to be men and women of integrity like the Rechabites. Not bending our ways because of changing circumstances, but loving you and faithfully proclaiming your word about Christ who died for our sins. And I pray these things in Christ's name.